Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Genesis. Tonight is study number 26 of Genesis chapter 6, and we're going to be reading verses 18 through 20. But with thee will I establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee, and of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort shalt thou bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee. They shall be male and female, of fowls after their kind, and of cattle after their kind, of every creeping thing of the earth after his kind. Two of every sort shall come unto thee to keep them alive. And I'll stop reading there. Now we, uh, in our last study, we're looking in verse 18, and we looked at the word covenant, we saw that the covenant is a word that God relates to his commandments and the whole Bible is God's covenant with his people, actually um, in the first instance with all mankind, but mankind has broken the everlasting covenant. We read in Isaiah 24 verse 5, yet the Lord makes a covenant with his people, his chosen people. And they maintain it, they keep it, because God makes sure of it through salvation and the work of his spirit within them and so forth. They are able to keep the covenant. And that's how men like Job are said to be perfect, or uh, Zacharias and, and his wife Elizabeth in the New Testament are are called righteous, and the people of God are said to walk in God's commandments because God has qualified them and equipped them with a new resurrected soul to be able to do this. Well, um, let's go on here in verse 18. But with thee will I establish my covenant. That's the gospel. That's the word of God. And, and all the things it says, and thou shalt come into the ark. And again, the ark represents salvation. It represents deliverance, safety from the wrath of God. And, and therefore, in all those things, it represents the Lord Jesus Christ. Entry into the ark is a picture of being saved. And that's why the next statement is uh, significant. Thou shalt come into the ark, God said to Noah, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. Now, let's think about what God just said. Uh, first of all, when... Is he making this statement? Well, in the, in the previous verses, he's giving instructions to Noah. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. 
room shalt thou make in the ark and pitch it with pitch and so forth. And, and this is continuing God's communication to Noah at the time he is commanding him to build the ark. So the ark is not built. It hasn't even had a single nail driven into a single board as yet. The ark is not even begun, and certainly the flood is way off in the distance. Remember, God gave a timeline of 120 years. That's when he's first coming to Noah to give him sufficient time to construct the vessel, the the ark, and, and to build it according to God's specifications. It, uh, it's a huge ship, and it, it would require a lengthy period of time to build. And so 120 years was necessary, especially if Noah had to provide for himself and his family in some other way, through farming or whatever. He could not devote all the time to building the ark, perhaps. But, but at any rate, before the ark had uh, even begun to be built, Noah has not left God's presence as God has told him concerning the window and the door that is set in the side in the three stories, lower, second, and third stories. And then in verse 17, God for the first time uh, explain that he's going to bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh. And now, in the very same breath, almost, the Lord is saying, Thou shalt come into the ark, thou, thy sons, and thy wife, and thy sons' wives with thee. So God is looking ahead 120 years to the finished vessel and and also God has already declared exactly the people that will enter into the ark notice that again Noah his wife his sons and his sons wives and if we turn to Genesis 7 in verse 7 this is 120 years later, in the year 4990 B.C., it says in Genesis 7, verse 7, And Noah went in, and his sons, and his wife, and his sons' wives with him, into the ark, because of the waters of the flood. Exactly, precisely, the same group of people that God named before the ark was built. 120 years in advance, God foretold, and he declared, you, your wife, your sons, and your sons' wives. Now, 120 years earlier was the year 5110, and some of Noah's sons were not even born as yet, and certainly the sons that would have been born at that time would have been too young to have wives. And yet God is declaring 
precisely each person that will enter the ark. It will be limited to Noah's family. It will include Noah, his wife, his sons, and their wives. And that's what happens. That's what happens when finally the flood does come. No one else in all the world enters into the ark. Now, what what does this um, immediately remind us of? It reminds us of God's overall salvation program. If we turn to the New Testament, to Ephesians chapter 1, it says in Ephesians 1 verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. And in these verses, God lays down his program of election, of predestination is also what it's known as. And this Bible doctrine, and really this doctrine, you, you won't hear in other religions. It's a glorious and beautiful doctrine of the Bible. It's a, a wonderful truth of the Word of God that other religions wouldn't want anything to do with, even the religion, the Christian religion, that professes to be followers of the Bible. They don't want anything to do with it, many churches and denominations. And yet, it's one of the most beautiful teachings of the Scriptures that God chose that God predetermined and God predestinated the salvation of certain people before the foundation of the world. Before Genesis 1, as God in the beginning created the heavens and the earth, and and God created everything that's a part of this creation, including man, Before any of that, God knew exactly the souls that he would save. And and the Lord Jesus Christ had their sins laid upon him. And Christ died at the point of the world's foundation. That's the language of the Bible. It, It really was in eternity past. And... And Christ's death and resurrection in eternity past from the foundation of the world proved to be the world's foundation for this world and the world to come. Everything is dependent, is built upon what Jesus did in eternity past. And so God, before the world he uh, cr- was created and, and, and history and time started to unfold. God chose exactly the people that he would save. It says in 1 Peter 
chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now notice that's five locales, um, five pointing to the atonement, the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ, by which God saved at the point of the world's foundation. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Elect, and the word elect is um, the same as chosen. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God. The foreknowledge, and, and that word foreknowledge literally means know before. Know before. That, that's God's foreknowledge. He knew before. He made choice. As, as the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 9, God gives us this historical example to uh, help us to understand what election is. It, it says in verse 10 of Romans 9, And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born. Now, God's making reference to the twin boys, Jacob and Esau. Rebekah was with child, with, with twins. And, and so here, God again, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. That is, God made choice. He he uh, made a decision, and it's all according to his good pleasure. That's the only reason the Bible gives regarding why God chooses one and not another. God chose Jacob and not Esau according to his good pleasure. And and then it says in verse 13 of Romans 9, As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Twin boys, neither one had done anything good or anything wrong. They were they were conceived in the womb. They, they grew in the same womb. They were about as close as two people could be and uh, all, all throughout the pregnancy. And then finally, they're born. But God chose Jacob before. Uh, the children being not yet born. That's when God made choice. Before they had done good or evil. That's the teaching of the Bible concerning God's election program. That's God's predestination program when he chooses one over another. And the Bible tells us that choice took place before the world was. 
God foreknew the ones that he would elect. He had foreknowledge concerning them. Now, um, it's undeniable that this language is in the Bible. Yet, of course, the natural-minded people within the churches and congregations that insist upon a doctrine of free will, well, that um, erroneous teaching, um, it's like a disease that contaminates other doctrines, and so it contaminates this wonderful doctrine of election and predestination, and they grab a hold of a word like foreknow or foreknowledge, and they say, well, yes, God foreknow those that would be saved. And and then they explain uh, their idea of foreknowledge, not the Bible's, but they explain that God foreknow or foreknew in the sense that he looked down the corridors of time and he saw those people who would accept him. See how desperately they they must have acceptance and making a decision for Christ involved in things. And and yet, even though the Bible says that God chose, he foreknew and made choice concerning Jacob over Esau without either one having done good or evil. And, and there certainly says nothing there about Jacob um, choosing him. It It is just an ugly, ugly doctrinal error that perverts the beautiful doctrine of grace. The grace of God is a doctrine the Bible proclaims, and it's a magnificent doctrine that declares that all men are dead in sin, and men can do nothing. They cannot earn their salvation, or nor do they deserve their salvation. They cannot accept salvation or make a choice to receive salvation because they're dead in sin, dead in trespasses and iniquities. And and in their dead condition, they cannot raise the little pinky finger in any way to accept Christ to become saved. The picture the Bible draws us is Lazarus, who was dead for four days already, a stinking corpse that was lying there, rotting away, and then Christ came. Christ came to him. Lazarus did not go to Jesus because he was dead. Christ came to where he was in the tomb, or or in his gravesite, and Christ spoke to him, and, and Jesus made decision concerning him. The Lord Jesus Christ chose Lazarus and chose him to bring to life. That's why Jesus says in John 15, in verse 16, the first part of the verse, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. There is the truth that's that's the true gospel. No matter what men say, men will muddy the water as much as possible, and especially in our modern church that is full of emissaries of Satan, 
they actually are unable to see or recognize the true gospel of the Bible, but it's it's very simple. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, Christ declares to Jacob. Have I loved? Or uh, as it says in uh, Romans chapter 9 in verse 15, For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Can it be any plainer? You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy. It is not of him that willeth. And uh, to go along with that, look at John chapter 1. John 1 in verse 12 and 13. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now God's going to tell us how people become born again. How they're able to be resurrected in their soul like Lazarus was resurrected in his physical body, which were born not of blood. It has nothing to do with your family, where you came from, if your father is a pastor or a priest or whoever, nor of the will of the flesh. Again, God says, it's not of him that willeth in Romans 9. Being born again is not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You know, how men that are are supposed to be teaching the Bible uh, avoid these verses and get around these statements of God and and somehow make them say what they're not saying. I just don't know. I I really don't know. It it can only be blindness and delusion. It can only be um, that God has departed and abandoned the churches and congregations of the world and is not opening their eyes. And And so, of course, in that sense, it's expected, not only on this point, but on many other biblical points, they just don't understand. That's what it means, that they can't see it. They they lack knowledge and understanding and wisdom. God has withheld it from them. And therefore, they uh, they have their paltry doctrine. They're, you know, doctrines of men are, are never good. And they're certainly never beautiful. and And they're never... Um, healthy or helpful or good in any way whatsoever. And, and uh, yes, they, they have their easy believism. They, they have their instant pudding salvation. And, and the people within the, the congregations, the, the churches of the world, they love it. They love to have it so, or else it wouldn't be the way it is. They want those pastors to preach those things 
so they can have salvation at the ready, at their fingertips, whenever their will decides to make it happen. And, and, and man is very comfortable with that. But what a pity. What a terrible pity it is. Of course, now we're living in a time um, when the door is shut. But but all this was going on during the day of salvation, when the glorious, wonderful teaching of God's salvation program was being declared to the world that the sovereign God is merciful and you may approach unto him and beseech him and cry out to him for all your worth that he might exercise grace towards you, that he might extend that golden scepter towards the sinner. And it, it, it's just, just very sorrowful that so many people uh, prefer the lie over the truth when the lie gets them nothing. It certainly has not provided salvation for them. It has not protected them against the wrath of God. And it will never give them eternal life. They will die in their sins as a result of believing these promises, the promises of life that were delivered to them by men that themselves had no life. And yet, this is the awful spiritual situation of the entire New Testament corporate church. And, and it goes much broader than that. Even outside it in, in ministries and so forth that, that are not associated. Yet the Bible is very plain, very clear, and, and very definite. God here in Genesis 7, in verse 18, is giving a preview, as it were, a historical illustration. It's a historical parable, teaching of his overall doctrine of election and predestination. As he says to Noah, before the ark was built, before the flood, a rain cloud was anywhere in sight, it was, it was decades. It was over a century away. And yet God told him, you will come into the ark and your sons and your wife and your son's wives with thee. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's evening Bible studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.